I uh, wanted just to say a couple of things before I get started. One is, uh, we have a very special crown event. It's a journey to financial freedom. And gang, it really has nothing to do with the church and everything to do with uh, being good stewards and being good money managers. And so I want to encourage you on August 17th uh, to dedicate that day for you as an individual, for your family, and, and be present uh, in the historic sanctuary. Uh, actually, I think it may be in here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to gather, and the cost is $40 per person. But you could tell I'm in sales just today. We're going to reduce that price to $30 a person. Now, just for today, anybody that signed up, we're going to rebate them $10. But listen, it will be well worth your money, no pun intended. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you will be grateful that you went because they talk about biblical principles on managing money. You know, money, we call it currency, don't we? And there's a reason for that because it, it moves and, and it flows and there's a current to it. And God has put us in a place to manage that current. As he is Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, he has entrusted us in wonderful ways. And we're going to have uh, very gifted folks, spiritually minded folks, giving us principles on how better to steward the resources he gives us. And so I want you to hold open that date, August the 17th. That's a Saturday. We want your morning and your afternoon, and I guarantee you, you'll be blessed. Now, a couple of things. I want to say I'm encouraged by these summer crowds, and I want to encourage you to continue to invite folks as we ramp up to the fall, as school begins. I know that's kind of a sad thing to bring up, but as, as we move towards school, think about folks. We're going to be talking about making a difference. Uh, begin to think about how you can make a difference by making an invitation uh, to invite some folks. Now, we talked a little bit about the Mexico trip, but how many of you were actually on the Mexico trip? If you'll raise your hand. Yes, you all made a difference. Let's give it up for them. Yes. You really did. And thank you. Thank you for being emissaries and ambassadors for Jesus uh, to the least of these. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so thank you for serving Jesus as you serve the people of Jesus in Mexico. And I'm, I'm amazed at how um, I, I'm still getting to know some folks. Um, uh, some of you have said, uh, you know, I've been away for a while and I'm coming back. And I want to say, hey, me too. Me too. 25 years. And, I, and I've, I've come back home to Martha Bowman. I want you to feel like you're back home at Martha Bowman. In fact, uh, Anthony, I, I was able to meet Mac the drummer in the hallway. And, and I was kind of pumped about that. I had not met Mac, the drummer, our backup to Jeremy. And, uh, you know, he speaks a little uh, broken English. And I said, hey, I'm Tim. And he said, I'm Mac. I made that up. I thought that was pretty good. Okay. I thought that was pretty good. I'm Mac. Y'all get it, don't you? An Apple product. Yeah. Tough crap. <laughs> Keep your day job. All right. All right, I want us to read the scripture. <laughs> Get this thing off the ground. Uh, 
John chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. I'm going to read that, and here we go. You read along with me in your Bible. If you have your Bible, uh, you can read along on the screen. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in this place. And they sat out. About 5,000 men were there. In fact, that would, if you had children and women to the number, probably 15,000. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all, when they had, had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the people that surround us even now who've made a difference in our lives. And we really believe this morning that it is your desire to make a difference in our world. And we realize that you're depending on us. And so use us and use me. And Lord, I just ask that you would continue to bless this time as we've gathered to make your word come alive and let the anointing of your Holy Spirit just continue to fall on us as we find ourselves in this story. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this has been an incredible time that we've been able to journey together. In the month of July, we've attempted to let our prayerful imagination run wide open by asking some important questions. And we've looked at some very, very important life questions for followers of Jesus Christ. And, and one of those is, can I really be forgiven? And, and we got a resounding yes through the power of the cross and through God's unmerited, unearned favor. We've been forgiven, set free, clean. And uh, the statement has been made not guilty. And then we ask the question, can I really be happy? And, and Anthony and I worked through that last week. That was a lot of fun around the table. And you helped us with that. And we delineated that, you know, happiness has to do a lot with our circumstances. But we want joy. And joy is the presence of God regardless of our circumstances. And that we can find contentment. And Paul helped us. The Apostle Paul helped us with contentment. And he said, I found the secret to contentment. And it's having Christ in me and serving Christ and the will of God. But today I want to ask another question, and we ask it together in this summer me message series. And, 
entitled Possibilities. And this is a, this is a bigger question, and then I've got a tighter focus question in a, in a minute, but the bigger question that is kind of like an umbrella over all of these questions, and it's a scripture that is threaded all through the Bible, and it's this question, is there anything too difficult for God? Is there anything too difficult for God? See that as the umbrella or the backdrop for all of these questions. And so our tightly focused question today is, can I really make a difference? I mean, that's a legitimate question to bring to this place as a follower of Jesus. Like other parts of our lives, this is something that is a drive within us. Every one of us wants to know needs to know that we have significance. I believe all of us want to contribute to making a, a dent in the universe, to making an impact in the world that's around us. Every one of us wants to know that what we do counts and that it counts for something. And that longing is, I believe, something within us that God has given us because he's given us uh, a purpose-driven life. He's given us reason to live. And so as we long for significance, uh, sometimes cynicism sets in. I mean, let's be honest. We say, you know, I want to make a difference, Tim. I, I want to bring change. But you know, this is a very broken and messed up world. I mean, there's a great deal of poverty, and there's injustice, and there's crime, and there's predicted climate change. And, and in so many ways, it's as though humanity has turned back the clock. We're hearing more and more about slave trading and sex trafficking. I mean, we're going backwards as a human race. How can I make a difference? What is the point? The world's need is so huge. And you know what? You're absolutely right. It is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And we ask the question, can we really make a difference? And I need to tell you as a pastor, as a, as a person of faith, that leads others in faith, there are times where I ask the question, am I really making a difference? Uh, I ask the question, am I really bringing change? Does what I do really advance the kingdom? Is God really able to still use me? And maybe you've asked those same questions. Maybe some of those same doubts have come up for you. And I, and I think some of those may be natural. One is the reality of the overwhelming need that we have in our world and the needs of those around us. But something happens to us over a course of time. It's interesting. Gordon MacDonald, who is a Christian author, talks about the 40-year span of one's career. And so this is all-inclusive of anybody in here. And he, he says, you know, in the first 20 years of your calling or your career, it's driven by idealism. 
I want to change the world. I will change the church in such a way that it will change the world. And, and I've got so much to offer. And by golly, I'm going to go out there and do it. And so this enormous amount of idealism, dreaming, and visioning. But then something happens. We find that disappointments enter into our lives. People let us down. Circumstances don't go quite the way we hope. Fatigue sets in, and then there's a new cynicism that develops, almost like a disease, and we begin to just go through the motions. We lose the passion for making a difference. And he says oftentimes what happens is in, in one's career, that first part is driven by idealism. I really want to change the world. But the other 20 years, the other half of that 40-year career, often were motivated out of obligation or responsibilities. And we lose that passion. And we just kind of go through the motions. We become robotic. And where we first said, I want to change the world, we end up saying, I just want to get through this. I want to get on the other side of this. So we come today, and, 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 and one of the questions uh, that really challenged me that I think is important for us to look at, and it's this. As we think about how fatigue and disappointment and circumstances diminish our passion, one of the questions that, that I came across uh, was helpful for me. And it was this, do you live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation? Think about that a minute. Do you live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation? In other words, are you serving, are you giving of yourself, are you posturing yourself to make a difference and living into that difference making in such a way that folks scratch their heads and they look and they say, what is it that motivates you? Can you explain it to me? Or are you like some of us who simply go through the motions, there's no passion, there's no sense of I'm really making a difference, and it's obvious that our motivation is more about ourselves and our own lifestyles. And so it doesn't really need an explanation. It's obvious. We live for ourselves. But men and women, I want to live a life that is so intriguing, for the glory of God that is, that people demand an explanation. Stefan, why is it you do that? Why are you willing to make that sacrifice? Why are you willing to be that generous? Why are you willing to commit that kind of time? And I want to be able to point to Jesus and say, let me explain. And so today, I'd like that to be a part of our discussion. Live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation, that it draws people into a conversation about why you do what you do. And that's part of making a difference. Well, we have this text out of John chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And Jesus, Jesus had the same emotions we have. You know how I said early on, sometimes we say, what's the point? Can I really make a difference? Because the need is so great. 
Well, Jesus must have felt this way. Oftentimes, he'd try to go to a lonely place. He'd try to recharge his batteries. He'd try to regroup his disciples. And here's this massive, huge crowd. And they draw near, and they're needy. You ever been around needy people? I mean, they're needy, and they're hungry, and they're irritable. But they've gathered because they've heard he can work miracles, that he can heal. And so he says, here they are. What are we going to do now, guys? Uh, I'd like to feed these folk. And Philip says, Jesus, I can hear myself. In, he's practical. He's like, it would take a half a year's wages to feed all of these folk. There's no way. And then Andrew, brother of St. Peter, says, now there is a kid over here that has a lunch, some bread and some fish. And I don't know. And Jesus says, well, go, go get it. And he has them sit out. And he blesses the bread. He blesses the fish. It is multiplied Everyone is fed, and there's leftovers. Doggy bags are available for people to take some with them. I don't want any to be wasted. Now, for me, this is a narrative, is a story, and embedded in it, I believe, are some principles that can help us to live in such a way, to be about living as a difference maker are you willing to live as a difference maker and just like the disciples we've got huge challenges we've got our own issues we've got people with issues around us we have places where we work our home our neighborhood our community and there's so much brokenness how can I make a dent in the universe how can I make an impact on that world well a couple of things and I encourage you to take notes on this. One is to find some possibilities. You look at the problem, you look at the challenge, and Jesus did that. And he said, what can we do here? How can we meet this need? These people are hungry. How, how do we respond? What are some possibilities, guys? That's what he's saying. You know, really, that's the role of the church. And we'll talk about that next week. Our message is, how can Martha Bowman Church make a difference? But today we've got it tightly focused on us. How can we make a difference? And one of those is to see the need and then try to, to meet that need. And yes, it's overwhelming. And yes, we can be consumed by it. But I believe God wants us to at least raise the possibilities. And he says, how is it that we can feed these, these folk? And they're skeptics. And Philip says, no way. But Andrew says, yeah, you know, there's a kid over here. He's got a lunchbox and some bread and, and fish. Are you willing to find the possibilities? Oftentimes, I know what I do. I, I make excuses, and I know you do too. We tend to focus on what we don't have, what's not available. We say, you know, I don't have the time, or I, I don't have the money, or I don't have the training, or the gift of mercy, or I, I don't have an outgoing personality. I don't believe God is interested in what you don't have. I believe that the Lord is interested in what you do have. And I think he wants us to move away from 
the negativity of what we don't have to offer and to say, okay, while I may not be able to do this and while I may not be able to do that, I can at least do this. And so they find this boy with a lunch. What little can be offered can be turned into a miracle. A kid with a lunch. And today you may be feeling as though, you know, I've got some, some needs around me and people who need my help, but I, I don't know what I can offer. Well, this married couple in a church where I served in Albany, and in Albany, Georgia, well, uh, they were godly folk, and they had their third son. And they kind of noticed some things in that third son. He was just as precious as, as the other two children, but they intuitively knew something wasn't right, and they would go to the doctor, and the doctors weren't quite sure. And sure enough, it hit the mother right there in the kitchen, the father was in the kitchen as well, and the little boy was playing with toys, and she watched him, and she observed him, and it was like, bam, it hit her. He has some retardation. He has special needs. She observed it. She took the child back, and sure enough, after testing and some other things, they noticed he was so delayed in certain categories. And they said, you're going to have to work hard. And you're going to have to respond in certain ways. And she went to worship not long after that, and she went down for the altar call, and, and her name's Feeney, the mother. And Feeney knelt, and she prayed, and she said, Lord Jesus, you've given me this boy. You've given me this precious little boy. And he has so many needs. And he needs a specialist. And I'm not a, I'm not a special education person. I don't have the training I've never been taught on how to work with this child. And she waited, and it was as though the Lord spoke to her as clearly as you're hearing me speak to you today. And the Lord spoke to her and said, I don't want you to be a specialist. I just simply want you to be his mother. Love him as a mother. You see, we can bring what we have. And God is able to work a miracle from that. D.L. Moody, in the last century, was an adolescent. He was listening to an evangelist in the Chicago area. And this evangelist said, God is looking for one person, one person who will change the world, who will totally be sold out for Jesus Christ. God is looking for one person who can change the world by being totally sold out and given over to God. And it was at that moment when D.L. Moody heard that. He said, I want to be that man. He came forward, he prayed. Now, if you knew D.L. Moody, he's extremely, grossly obese. And, and he has a voice, not only unpleasant to look at in many ways, but he, he, he sounded like this, and when he, when he preached, it was like a shrill voice. And people almost tried to discourage him. But there was so much love and there was so much passion and there was so much burden within him to see people come to Christ. Men and women and children would flock to hear him. And he would end up 
changing the world. I don't know that he sneezed quite like that. And, and so, D.L. Moody was able to change his world and overcome some of the things that the world maybe even thought were obstacles. He was able to bring people to Christ with so many obstacles. He brought what he had, and that was a heart for Christ. The other is not only find the possibilities, focus on what you have, but I want to say this, frame yourself within the bigger picture. Frame yourself within the bigger picture. Yes, the need is great, and yes, there's a lot of needs out there, but I really believe that God uses synergy through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring a team of people to influence lives, and he makes a difference. We can live as different maker, difference makers when we work together. I love the imagery of dominoes, and I wished I had an image of a domino up, but you know, the standing up of those dominoes, I mean, kids love it because, you know, you knock one down and phew, they all fall down, right? And when it comes to leading someone to Christ, for example, uh, let's picture this here, and you've got a domino here, you've got a domino here, you've got a domino here, all the way out. And when someone chooses to follow Jesus, when they make that cognitive and willful heart decision that I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, oftentimes it's the person right here that gets the glory, right? And maybe you've been in those moments where you've been able to invite someone to Jesus Christ into a vital relationship with their creator. And what an awesome moment that is when they pray to receive Christ into their heart and their life has changed. And you know, what a glorious thing when that domino falls and that person comes to Christ. But gang, I got to tell you, it's not just about that one. While that's critical, and that is the tipping point, and you may be the tipping point in terms of that person coming to Christ, it's a long chain reaction of dominoes that have come into effect and have made contact and sent energy to bring us to this place. Good United Methodists would call that provenient grace, providential grace, where God has placed you at the right time in the right place to bring someone to Jesus. What are you laughing at? Oh, see, that's amazing. <laughs> Anthony, thank you. Okay. Now I want a picture of myself and Delia. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Don't do that. Don't do that. All right, so I want you, th thank you, Anthony. So, yes, you see that? It's you, and it's someone else, and it's someone else. In Statesboro, where I served, uh, I, I go to IHOP. I like IHOP. It's obvious. And, and, and we would go, and we have this same girl. Her name is Sarah. And, and, we, and we say, we'd like to have Sarah, because she serves really well. She likes to have us, because we tip really well. And so it all works out. It's a great thing. And so we sit in the booth, and, and Sarah takes care of us, and she knows what I want right off the menu. We've developed a relationship with Sarah. Well, we went back to Statesboro not too long ago, and it all began with Sarah 
by simply saying, what's your name? How are you doing? And then a relationship continued to develop, and Delia would say, is there anything we can pray for you about, Sarah? And she'd say, my sister, she has an addiction, she's in a treatment program. What's your sister's name? And so she'd say her name, and we'd, we'd pray for her. Well, not long ago, she told us, she said, you know, it's good to see y'all, I, I'm going to a church. And I said, I am so glad. What, what church are you going to? And she said, a particular church. And I said, great. And she said, I just want to let you know that a number of folks have helped my sister and me get to that place. And she said, I appreciate all y'all have done in praying for me. And she named off about five different people that helped her get to the place where she would come to church. And so, gang, what I want to say to you today is you may feel like this person is so far gone or this situation is overwhelmingly difficult. I want to say to you, frame yourself in the big picture that God has for you making a difference. It's simply one part of that larger scene. And then finally, figure out a way to be the miracle. You see, in part, the miracle, the miracle was the feeding of the 5,000. And I really believe that when Jesus responds through us, he is concerned about the pers person that we're showing compassion to. Jesus performed this miracle to bless people. And these people didn't necessarily turn their hearts over to him because of that. He just wanted to do good for them. Okay? He wanted to do something good. But I really believe that something even bigger happened. Jesus isn't just concerned about the crowds. He's also concerned about the disciples, you and me. And he performed this miracle to grow their faith. He wanted to soften their hearts. He wanted to be able to grow them as disciples and to help them to see that they're part of the miracle and that they are the miracle because it's Christ working through me. It's Christ working through you. And so figure out a way to be a part of the miracle by being the miracle and allowing God to use you. Now I want to do one last thing. My home church in my hometown, uh, it was a Methodist church, and we had a pastor that served us for a long time. And his name is Reverend Al Gwynn. He's now a bishop, a retired bishop. But he would always end his services uh, with a prayer. And, you know, so often we say, Lord, help me make a difference. Give me something little that I can do. Help me make a difference. Uh, make that a minimal kind of thing so that I can pull it off. But he had a different prayer. And it was this. He would say, remember, dear friends, as you leave this place, do not pray for easy lives, but rather pray to be strong men and women. Do not pray for a task equal to your power, but rather pray for power equal to your task. Then the doing of your work will be no miracle, but you will be the miracle. And you will be constantly amazed at what you can do 
and become by the grace of God through Jesus Christ living in you. And to whom be glory and majesty, dominion, power, both now and forevermore. Amen. I want to go back to the beginning of that again. I want you to pray it with me. And that's going to be our benediction. And then we're going to sing. Say it with me. Remember, dear friends, as you leave this place, do not pray for easy lives, but rather pray to be strong men and women. Do not pray for a task equal to your power, but rather pray for power equal to your task. Then the doing of your work will be no miracle, but you will be the miracle. And you will be constantly amazed at what you can do and become by the grace of God through Jesus Christ living in you. That's good enough. We'll stop there. And so may it be that you, in making a difference, become the miracle by your availability, not your ability, but by your availability and posture of openness to serve Jesus.